emotions are neutral. But how we handle them will have a positive or negative effect on our legacy. Remember, our legacy is is what's left behind us after we've gone. It's what remains from our lives that get passed on from one person or one generation to another. It's how we will be remembered. And in this series that we're talking about, we're saying that the best way to live is to live in such a way that people talk about Jesus. When they think of how you lived your life. There's been a principle throughout this series that simply is this, that we believe that Everyone can leave a godly legacy by following Jesus in seven key areas of life. We can leave a godly legacy that that God has come for us through his son Christ. And as we follow him, our lives can leave a wake behind us that those that travel in it will think of and see And follow Jesus because of how we've lived. And when it comes to the area of emotional growth, we need all the help we can get. So, I live here in Topeka. I have a two-car garage. And in that garage is many manly tools. My parents came up for a visit. And I was having a trouble uh, with my pull starter on my mower. And uh, the, the cover was riveted to the top of the engine, and it was not intuitive to me on how to remove the pull cord. And so my father and I, we went out into my garage, and uh, I, I can't explain why, but all those insecurities came roaring back of when I had to have dad help me with something. And he, we, we were working on it together, and and all he did is he made like one statement of explaining what something was that I knew what it was, like a spark plug or something. And I go, Daddy! And I just stopped. I thought, I haven't said that word like that in a long time. I can tell you, he kind of relished that moment. But I was horrified. I was like, oh, no, what have I done? What is it about this moment that has just... You ever had a moment where your emotions got the best of you? Where either you've, you've popped your top or flipped your lid or snapped. Uh, when those around you have no context as to why in the world did you just do that? You see, there's something that's linked, and that is spiritual maturity and emotional growth. They're paired together. They're, they're a package deal. We cannot claim to have deep spiritual maturity while being immature emotionally. A, a principle for our message this evening is spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. You see, it's very possible for someone to stand up, open God's word and proclaim a message and then be angry at home. 
You can memorize a book of the New Testament and still feel lost in depression. It's not a knowledge problem necessarily. Because there's something in the way between God's word and then how we're able to live it out. And we've, we've seen that in all the six other areas of how we live. So I'd actually like to turn to God's word because God is going to be the answer for our issue. And I'd like you to go to Philippians chapter 4. The book of Philippians chapter 4 is where we'll be. Philippians is in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul. And we'd like to, for you to have God's Word in front of you. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, we have Bibles along the back wall. You can go and grab one of those. It's a value to us that you actually have God's Word in front of you. And you can also use uh, a number of uh, apps that are available. But we're in Philippians chapter 4. And I'd like to start here because we really get a picture of what could that legacy be. That, that rich, Jesus-filled life that if we did this, Others would see a pattern from us to say, I'm going to travel in those footsteps to be like Jesus as well. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I think it's a fair assessment to say that Paul was a disciple who had great emotional health. When he he wrote this, this series of letters that Philippians is one of them, Galatians through Colossians, they're known as the, the prison letters. Because Paul was incarcerated when he wrote them, but his background with the Philippians is that when he traveled to the, the community of Philippi, he got arrested and he was put in, in a dungeon. And it was a bad situation. And if you find yourself in a situation like that, there'd just be an overwhelming wave of fear and the unknown and all these kinds of things that could be potentially emotionally overwhelming or draining. But he handled being overcome with emotion just like we do by singing hymns. Okay, so maybe we don't do that. But that's what he did. In the face of uncertainty, he was at peace. And he was able to worship God. So we have something to learn from here. And, and these instructions that he, give us, he gives us here are very clear. But here we have... A legacy that I believe will be left when an emotionally healthy disciple does these things. So let's find them here in our passage. Verse 4, joy in Christ. Joy in Christ. 
That we can rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances. This is not about trying to maintain some facade of happiness as you grin and bear it. This is having a deep sense of joy and comfort because the Lord is your stronghold, your refuge, your strength. Joy in Christ is a legacy that you can leave. The next one in verse 5, it says reasonableness. The idea here, though, is gentleness to all. The original language uses a word here that has a variety of meanings, but the, the primary meanings are calm, reasonable, gentle. I have very little problem being gentle to people that come see me here in the office. It's just that whole going home thing where I live with people and they live with me. That's... Paul says, the call is to rejoice in everything and to be gentle and reasonable to all. That you stay the same even with the people that trip your trigger. Verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. Supplication is the idea of you're asking God to be your supplier, that you're coming to God with your needs, and you're saying, God, I need you at work in my life, and I need these things. Please supply. When you pray like that, you're supplicating. You're making supplication of God. He says, do this in everything with thanksgiving and let your requests be made known to God. When you live this out, you leave a legacy of prayer and thankfulness. Wouldn't you want that said about you? When people think of how you live, the decisions you made, man, she was always quick to pray. I always was thankful. Got the sweetest thankful thank." you cards from that person. It's all anchored in and not taking on the, the, the pressures and stress of the world, but regularly, quickly taking it to the Lord. This is what it produces. Verse 8, we get this list of, of what to think about. Things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, things of excellence, things worthy of praise. If you're consumed about thinking about these things, you will leave a thoughtful legacy. Because the things that we dwell on and the things that we think about, we end up doing. Right? You drive around the Honda dealership and you think about it. And you see the car and you smell that new car smell and you feel it. And you get that monthly payment. And when we think and we dwell on things, those are the things we end up doing. We become thoughtful because these, these things are, are outside of ourselves. And then, then we are able to leave an example to follow. I love this verse that Paul says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things. He says, look, look at me. 
And and Paul has done this in other letters where he's not trying to set himself up as better than Jesus. He's just saying, I'm authentically trying to follow Christ. So imitate me as I imitate him. He says, look, I've given you something to to live a, a, a pattern of life. I would love to be able to live in such a way that it could be said that if we do the kinds of things that, that old Hinkle did, I'll leave a lasting legacy because he lived for Christ. See, this is the goal. This is the legacy. But here's the deal. We have something that gets in the way between our desire, our really true felt desire to have these things true about our lives. And that is in the area of emotional development, we have gaps. We are incomplete, unhealthy at times. We have emotional gaps and here's why. Number one, you have family patterns. Family patterns that have been handed down to you. It's just the way your people handle things. You yell or you scream or you go passive aggressive or you do the silent treatment. That's how you respond emotionally. Sometimes you just blow up and say hateful things and then you, you're quick to come back with an I'm sorry. You have a family pattern that just is hardwired in you. And I've had already that oh no moment when I have sounded like my parents. Oh no. Because there's family patterns. The other thing is, is painful scars. We have painful scars that have happened to us in life. Where we have been deeply hurt, betrayed, abused, abandoned, rejected, judged, criticized, questioned, doubted. And, and, and sometimes our response to that emotional scarring is we just pull a curtain around. And we hide who we really are because we made an agreement. We will never be wounded again. It cuts off. That kind of an agreement can cut you off emotionally because you're so anchored in self-protection that keeps you from engaging others in what's happening in them. Then fatigue and anxiety. I'm sorry. You can struggle. You will struggle to live a godly life when you are frequently, constantly exhausted. A professor of mine said the key to spiritual life is plenty of sleep. We lose it emotionally when we're just at the end of our rope. And if that's fatigue or if that is just circumstances and and what's going on and we are just anxious and we have anxiety and all these kinds of pressures, we just become a ticking time bomb, a simmering pot that you're this bear and all you're waiting for is someone to poke the bear. And they do and look out. Then there's just plain old immaturity. Some of us have grown older, but we've not grown up. We've grown older, but we've not grown up. 
like a child who everything is okay until you mess with you. So you're at a you're at a park with a child and they have the helium balloon because they knew that if they had that balloon, it would bring them all the source of joy that they could ever want. And then they let go of it. Right? You're like, it's okay. We can get another one. But we're the same way. We can kind of just go through life and we're okay. Just don't tick us off. A lot of times we, we haven't been given a pattern of emotional maturity from our predecessors. So in all these areas of life, though, we are called to follow Jesus. And Christ is the answer. The work of Christ on our behalf brings us into a relationship with God that unlocks something amazing. Gives us access into something that that, uh, will radically change us for the rest of our lives. And that is access to the wisdom of God. To know how to act, think, and respond in a way that's godly, not just reactionary. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 tells us about the wisdom of God that comes through knowing Him. First Corinthians 2, starting verse 10, says this, says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That makes sense. You can't know what I'm thinking because you're not me. We can't know what God is thinking because He's God. Unless He does something about that. Yeah, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So God has acted on our behalf. I'll stop there. But in verse 16, it says, we have the mind of Christ. You see, God, he gives wisdom to us to fill our gaps The great and amazing gift that we have by faith in Jesus Christ is that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into the things of God. His wisdom. You know, wisdom is knowledge applied. You guys heard that definition before? Wisdom is knowledge applied. It's taking the things that you know and putting them to work. And God... His mind is enough for any circumstance and any situation that we'll ever face. And He has given you access to His wisdom. And you enter into that by faith alone. By faith alone. In Christ alone. You see, Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Not just to save you from hell which is certainly a great benefit, isn't it? Yes. 
But he died for us and he took his life up again to make us new. To begin a work of restoration about what God wanted a relationship to man with man and woman to be from the very beginning. The gospel is a restoring work that someday we will be like him. And until that day comes, he has given us his spirit to sharpen and mold and shape us. And he uses the very circumstances that we go through to complete his work in us. He will give you wisdom. When you are about to lose it, his wisdom is there. So I want to talk now about how. Is there something that we can do to get there? Because I got to tell you, I got a little stuck emotionally. A pastor can feel a lot of pressure when he starts to feel like that, that um, people really, really need him. And then you start to stack on, did I say it right? Did I? Oh, no. And you can start to feel some of the burdens and the pressures instead of saying, man, these people really need Jesus and I need to point them to Christ. And, but I kind of got in a season where I was, I had a lot in my pack. And I needed someone to help give me a grid to get that off my back. Because I was getting angry, guys. But not to you. To the ones that would do stuff just like me. You know? You know how irritating that can be? When someone in your life looks like you, thinks like you, talks like you, acts like you, and you have to deal with that? And I got to a place where I needed, a, I needed something practical. Because I was just thinking, feeling, reacting. Think, feel, react. And this is what was given to me, and it has changed my life, and I want to give it to you. So I've got five practices that help you get to wisdom because God never fails you. He always provides it. But we got to do some things that slow us down. We allow the Spirit of God to work. Number one, we got to answer, what am I thinking? And feeling. What am I thinking? Feeling. Sometimes we've already made a decision when we really don't even understand what, what we're thinking or feeling at the time. First step is what is it? Are you mad? Are you angry? Are you, are you, uh, are you feeling hopeless that your marriage just will not change? What is it? Can you, can you define it? And then the second one is, why? Why are you there? Why are you thinking and feeling this way? Well, they lied to me. Okay. You should feel some emotion about that. 
But do you have evidence for it? Do you have evidence not? Have you jumped to a conclusion that maybe isn't true? You just have gone there. Maybe you got information that came from a third party. You weren't in the situation, but now you're being drawn in. That's a common one for pastors. Oh, pastor, you need to know that (laughs) something's going on over there and you need to know so you can go deal with that. Okay, (laughs) I'm going in. That never goes well. You have evidence for it. And then, is it true? Is it true? Is it true the lie that was said about you or... Is there the information that was brought to you that has really rocked you? Is it true? And then do you usually react to that in a certain way? We develop patterns on dealing with specific types of people. This kind of person, I will just shut them off. This kind of person, uh, I will just, uh, I'll just do kind of a, dance around them because I know if I actually am honest, it's going to blow things up. So I better just tiptoe around this person. You see, when you go through this grid, you're slowing down to get to number four because number four is what makes this a godly exercise, not just good advice. And number four is this, what else could I think And what does God's word say? What else could I think? And what does God's word say? You ever read any Proverbs about the angry man? The angry person? This kind of message is a great call for those of you who, who know who know Scripture well. If you can calm down to this point, this is where the Spirit of God rushes verse, verses back into your mind that you have tucked away, maybe even from a child. That if you will slow down, you'll get to this spot of, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before I just, before I open my mouth, God, can I think something else? Can I think can I think about your word and before I respond in anger? An angry man tears down. Oh God, I don't want to be that man. I am angry, but God, I don't want to react out of anger. Then the fifth one is, what am I thinking and feeling now? What am I thinking and feeling now? And here's what I found. The best way to apply this practice, this grid, is to begin with something from the past where you blew it. Where you have the the availability of hindsight to look back and say, okay, that was a situation that didn't go so well. What was I thinking? Why was I thinking that? Was it true? Did it end up being true? Man, it did not end up being true. And I looked like a fool. 
blowing my top. wonder what else I could have thought. In the scenario where someone would want to involve you into someone else's issue, maybe the biblical godly thing would be to say, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I think the next step is for you to engage them and say if the behavior isn't corrected or if something doesn't change, then we're going to need to involve some other people to solve it. Does that make sense? Rather than putting on your parachute and diving in to a conflict that's not your own. You see, if we can get there, if we can just slow down, this, I, I, I was blown away. This is called cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay? A psychology major over here just giggling or something. But when I was given this, I said, no, 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 no. This is how you get to wisdom. This is how you get there. This is how you check yourself before you hurt yourself or others. You see, God has not ever failed me to calm me down, to bring things to mind in the scriptures that have given me guidance that I can act godly, not react emotionally. There's a difference when I don't use it. And it's a continual struggle. We need emotional health, joy, peace in the midst of any circumstance, unshakable peace. Looking back at our passage in Philippians, the Lord is near. He will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And he will give you peace. It's waiting. And he will fill your gaps with his wisdom. I hope that tool blesses you, that grid, that series of questions, because I use this as much as I can. Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We want to follow him. We want our lives to be patterned after him as we have finished the seventh area of our life, our emotional development, our emotional health. God, we want to be like Christ so that when we're gone, we're with you, God. People have a pattern to follow after us. Heal us from our emotional wounds and lead us into a great and godly legacy. In Jesus' name, amen.